Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Mo Monroe is wanted for the financial terrorist attack Black Monday. Black Monday was my idea. It's me, Wizard Wall Street himself. Mo is back, baby. Revely, revely, donks. It is Monday, the 23rd of March, 2020, and it is time for Morning Combat. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one of the hosts of this program, but there are two. Joining me all the way, if I can see, somewhere in the bowels of suburban Connecticut is the other host of this program. It is Brian Campbell, who you might know from CBS Sports. Brian, how are you, my good friend? I'm hanging in there. I'm doing so much better this week, Luke, and I hope that, uh, that we can say the same about our listeners as these are trying, unprecedented times. But as you can look around, this sure ain't the swamps of Jersey, Luke. We've changed <laughs> a lot and then, some, some. But you know our viewers have always been down, down. And Luke, if I ever didn't thank them, let me do that right now, because these people are passionate. They've wanted us back in their lives. Shout out to Showtime. Shout out to Malka for sending us some equipment. All, all I need is one mic, Luke, and I'm ready to go. I can't tell what is what is worse, your 311 reference or that self-made barracks cut that you're sporting here on today's well, show. Look, here's the deal, Luke, okay? From the front, it's it's borderline professional. I watched five yeah, YouTube clips bad. yesterday. It's not bad. Uh, I, I, you know, from the back looks very amateur, but you got to understand here, Luke, not only did I save $24 in giving myself my first haircut, I saved a hundred dollars. You know, you could argue at the same time, uh, in, in DC you could bucks, same, yes. <laughs> you could do the same brother. I'm going to have to, there's nothing I can do. Now, let me ask you, uh, we spoke about a week ago. A lot has changed in certain circumstances. A lot has remained kind of the same, I suppose. Is the family doing well? Like, give us, give the uh, viewers an update on how BC is doing in, in, in old CT. You know, I was a little bit too tuned in, like we mentioned last week in the beginning. I hit that wave of of, of fear. It was fear-mongering. It was everything you could imagine. And, and those same fears certainly persist. But there's a lot of good that has come out of this, Luke. As long as you are adhering to the guidelines of quarantine, there are some joys that can happen. Now, I know not everybody uh, you know, is blessed with a family, but getting all this great family time, going on long hikes with the dogs, I've really sort of um, began the rewiring, Luke, of sort of this Northeast mentality, I call it, which is you know, ambition, ambition, succeed, cash checks, fear about the future, plan for the future, work, work, work. Sometimes it's good to take that step back. I didn't want this step back. I'm certainly... Uh, mindful that many other people are not going through as good of a step away at this moment if you're fighting the virus or if you're just in panic and fear. But when you just mix, Luke, I know you and I, Luke, we don't necessarily serve the same master, but I've been able to sit at the feet of that master and remind myself that um, we're living right now. It's a different life. It's a different time. It's a different schedule, but I'm finding some great joy in this, Luke. I'll say something kind of similar, which is, you know, there's always a lot of work to do if you, 
there's never a shortage, I suppose, at least in this kind of a business when you can work from home. I gather that there's going to be a lot of people out there suffering. And so we obviously hope that the people who have been laid off or are going to be, uh, that there is something that can be done for them. I know the federal government is working on that today. Uh, fingers crossed that we can get a, a good bipartisan resolution and and, um, and move forward with that. But in terms of like personal life, you know, folks were asking me on my live chat, like, oh, I'm so bored. What are you going to do? And I'm thinking to myself, man, there's so much to do. What about that home improvement product uh, project you put off? What about that book you never read? Even me, Brian Campbell, how about this? On Amazon, it took a couple extra days to get here, but I ordered an Xbox controller with a USB plug, plugged yes. that sucker into my PC, and I bought and played Mortal Kombat 11. Can I just say, first of all, I don't have enough like frivolous fun, number one. Number two, dude, I mean, I'm not a video game expert by any stretch of the imagination. I know virtually nothing, but... It's a great game. I loved it, and I really enjoyed being Baraka and slicing up Johnny Cage in your honor sometime on Saturday night. Yo, Cage would get your ass. Believe that. But I like that. I like that fun side coming out of you, Luke. As we'll get to later in the show, I've been staying up late every single night watching classic movies. I've been, you know, rediscovering quality family time, remembering what it's like, Luke, to put your life first. You know what I'm saying? And I do have a message from the maker, Luke. There's plenty of room on that arc if you want to join us. There certainly is. Okay, well, let's, without further ado, let's get the, the show started. Wait got, a minute, you're going to no-sell JC right there? What's going on here, Luke? Well, yes, I don't really believe anything that, uh, the, that he has to say. Okay, but that's a different story for a different time. Let's do this. Let's get the process started here. We've got some MMA headlines to get to. As Brian indicated, we're going to talk about a project he's been working on in a little bit towards the end of the show but let's start with the biggest news probably over the weekend, such as there was, namely UFC President Dana White has lashed out at the MMA media. He did an Instagram live video with Kamaru Usman, the current UFC welterweight champion, and they discussed a number of different topics. One of them was the MMA media, and Dana White had a lot of negative things to say, saying that if you just look around, the people who cover the sport are some of the wimpiest, weakest people uh, that uh, covered the biggest, baddest sport, I think, was something approximating his wording. BC, I've kind of weighed in on this a little bit on my own, so by all means, take the floor here. What was your reaction? I mean, look, the obvious reaction is this is ridiculous. This is on brand for Dana, in some ways par for the course. Uh, but, I, you know, you got to dig a little deeper, I guess, uh, and get on the psychology couch, so to speak, and try to figure this out. you got to understand, Dana's a fighter. He only knows one speed. He's an achiever. He's fought uphill battles for a long time, and he's unprecedentedly and largely unbeaten in most of those battles. So if you look at his thriving business just, what, three weeks ago before this scare came, there really wasn't much that could slow him down. He was absolutely on top of the world. Got the ESPN TV deal. You want to talk about full-on legitimization of this sport, and now the only thing that can slow him down or try to contain him is this uncontainable larger disease. So it may not actually surprise me, Luke, that Dana would be so extreme in one direction to say like, you know, this maybe isn't as real as people say, or it won't slow me down, or I'm going to fight it. I'm going to keep putting on shows unless the government takes it out of my hands, which is essentially what has happened during this week and the next two weeks. He's standing firm, of course, that UFC 249 will happen. More on that in a second. But the idea of why would he respond to this, I mean, he's a, a, a class A, not a whole, but a class A alpha in this case. So when he sees 
people spreading the message of the only thing that can slow down his business, which is fear and cautiously taking the right precautions, it's low-hanging fruit for him to go, oh, yeah, these these white guy nerds that sit in their basement. I mean, I mean, you could, nerds could be of any color, but you get what I'm saying, and I'm in my basement right now, and I'm white, and I'm a journalist, so maybe he's right. But the whole point of like, oh, these weak-ass-minded journalists, they're the problem. They're not the problem. But we know who Dana is, so I understand this. Is this the right reaction? Hell no. I do want to ask you one thing, Luke. And, and look, again, Dana's way off here, way wrong. I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, calling people like you, actually, Luke, who are trying to be everything you do on Twitter, trying to be in, in, in you know good nature and, and inform people, that's certainly the wrong way. Is there any chance, though, Luke, long-term, that Dana's absurdity and ridiculousness is going to be, we're going to be better off for it because he's going to get fights back on the TV screen sooner than later. And that's what we're all here for job wise. And I'm not downplaying the potential danger he's putting his own employees at risk for and all that. But this man's fighting to get our life back on track right now, Luke. Will you soften to that down the road at any point? Soften to what specifically? That in his wrong reaction and motives, that's going to be the first sport that gets back to active duty. Yeah, but being the first sport back to active duty isn't necessarily a badge of honor. I mean, here we are with the Olympics still being decided whether or not they want to go through with it. The IOC kind of resisting, resisting, resisting. And then last night, Canada saying, we're, we're not sending a delegation to the Olympics. And the U.S. track and field, uh, I forget what the official, I think it's ITF, uh, and USA Swimming saying, we think this is a really bad idea. Th those dominoes are beginning to fall. Being resistant or being the first back at the end of a pandemic there might be ways to view that as like really positive. So, for example, during that same Instagram Live, Dano noted, hey, we've got our own infrastructure. We've got UFC Apex. You know, as soon as the lid is lifted, we can get right back to making fights. I think that is a great point. I think that is very true, and I don't have any issue with any of that. But being the first back, I mean, they were kind of one of the last ones to go in terms of professional sports. That that was not a good thing. So are you going to come back before the world is ready for it? By, by the time where the government might technically allow it, but it would be medically and potentially from a public health standpoint inadvisable? I wouldn't view that in a positive light, and I don't think any rational adult should. So um, while it'd be nice to get back to action, and I do think there are ways that make their business nimble, and I appreciate that fact, That's first, last are not the answers here. The question is, are you in the appropriate space or are you not? Um, and the th second thing I'd say is, look, I don't know what the long-term upside or downside to it all with Dana White is. I can just say, I think you're getting both sides of the coin here, right? Which you kind of alluded to. One of the reasons why UFC and MMA and Dana White have been tremendously successful are these fighting characteristics that you described, like not taking no for an answer and believing when people didn't. And that has resulted in many, 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 many good outcomes for his business, for fight fans, and people like us. And I can admit that readily, but there's two sides to that coin. And what you saw recently was the other one. The only other point I'd make on this, BC, is you call it an absurd, but it's worth actually figuring out why it's absurd. The only thing I'd add, because I made a bunch of other comments, I won't repeat them here, but the one thing I like to just sort of drive home here is do you notice how nowhere in that entire Instagram live he actually ever makes one argument on the merits? Right? He never says, we did not test for COVID-19, and here's why we don't think we needed to. 
He never says that. He never says, we have not paid the fighters yet, and here's why we don't believe that we need to. Now, there could be maybe good explanations for them. In fact, especially on the latter case, where if you're postponing a card and not canceling it, and if by the end of fiscal year 2020, you have paid them, maybe all's well that ends well. I'm simply pointing out, if you listen to his comments, nowhere does he actually defend the merits of his decision. Instead, what he says is, he tries to surf on the fact that he's right, UFC in the combat sports space typically has a great medical record, right? They have done way more in terms of accident insurance and, and combating weight cutting and the Performance Institute. I give them all the credit in the world for it. But that does not immunize you, no pun intended, from whether or not you acted responsibly related to this current global pandemic. You don't get to surf on that as some giant wave that overtakes it. And nowhere in that entire conversation with Kumar Usman does he ever stand on his own argument. Not once, which tells you there is no argument. How can you look someone in the face and say, we didn't test for it and here's why and we believe in it? You can't. You can't. All you can do is bash journalists and try and surf on other parts of your record that are, that are admittedly exemplary and hope that no one notices. He has the potential, Luke, to look like a, I don't want to, hero is the bad word, but to, if he's able to get fights back in a regular rotation. And if he's able to get March 25th, right, when when uh, the Las Vegas uh, uh, Commission meets again, if they're able to lift the, lift the sanction against him using the Apex and he gets fights back on there, I mean, this is... Uh, there's potential great that comes out of that and he could be looked at as a, you know, quasi-hero in this until, Luke, that virus spreads through the fighters. And then we have a major problem. Right, which is why it's not a matter of what the government might say or not say in terms of the commission, what the commission demands of you. The question is, what is responsible public health behavior for private actors where you have a lot of moving pieces? I think that's the thing that should be listened to. BC. Quickly, quickly, Luke, when he did come out with that comment calling the wimpiest of the wimpy, there was a lot of reaction on Twitter because he's so far extreme in one direction and you have been so far extreme in the other direction that maybe those comments were some type of subtweet at you, and then there were some of our viewers going, man, the fight to make right now might be Luke versus Dana inside the octagon. So, Luke, you've been rolling, rolling, rolling for about 20 years on that canvas. How do you think Dana's jujuts is in a Mythic Monday matchup? What, what about my comments was outside of the mainstream and epidemiological consensus? Name I'm not, one. I'm not name here to tell one, you hold on, that. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Name one thing I said, just one, Brian Campbell, that was outside consensus. So you, in our friendship, fourth wall removed, you often remind me that you're a passionate man and everything you say is good intentions. And I often incorrectly look at it as, oh, that's Cannibal Corpse Luke talking. He's ready <laughs> to eat some flesh. And I have sort of taken an L on some of those. Go, you know what? You're right. Luke may be this aggressive salt and pepper uh, individual, but, you know, he means for good. And in this case, you mean for good. That doesn't mean that your boy BC didn't have to stop following your Twitter account because it was making me so nervous. So when I say you're the extreme in the other direction, you're extreme for good reasons, yet... Every time I read your tweets, the sky was falling on top of me. Yeah, well, did you see that we have, uh, we have a past in terms of the exponential growth curve, either for cases or where we were for deaths at the same point in time? We've passed the, the, not, not just the aggregate number, but the exponential curve of Italy. Did you see that? A lot of big words there. A lot of big words there, Luke. Uh, we are worse off than Italy was at the same point. 
Right. So I, you can say I was hammering people over the top of the head, and I was, and I took a 48-hour break from it, and I'll probably continue to do that. But when this is all over, you're not going to be able to look at a single thing I said and say, wow, this was really outside of a, 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 any kind of public health consensus. My approach may have not been delicate, and I think that's a fair point, but I don't think it's a delicate situation. Now, can I be uh, can I be real with you here and ask you this question? Because sometimes us as sports stick to sports, you know, all that crap, whatever. But whether it's during an election season or whatever, there are sports personalities who have large opinions and large followings, and they feel it's their goal to spread certain messages. Do you feel either a responsibility, or do you feel like you've, whether accidentally or on purpose? fell into a role of, of a public influencer in a way to wake people up, Luke. And I'm saying this with all the best intentions because no, uh, you are a well-educated person who seems to be tied into this. Uh, you know, I, I'm just sitting back like a buffoon in my basement, but you seem to be tied into what's going on. Do you feel that responsibility to educate your followers? You know, it's funny, but you mentioned that, BC, because I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a public health official, and I'm not giving you what my opinion is. I believe that what the experts have said here this entire time, uh, well, actually, at first, I was skeptical like everybody else. But then after that, when reviewing the evidence, it became clear to me this was going to be a serious threat. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I saw that uh, The Athletic had done uh, a, a Q&A, and it was not in any way um, out of bounds. They were at, someone had asked a question, you know, why does Luke Thomas cover sport he seems to hate? Well, I don't hate fist fighting, but what I couldn't believe watching it all was I actually, believe it or not, despite the fact that there are a lot of people morally bankrupt and deeply ignorant inside this community and, like, and like willfully ignorant, they, I, I care about MMA, and I care about the industry, and I care about the people in it. I care about the fighters who traveled. I care about the people who came into contact with them. I care about having advanced medical protocol beyond um, this current situation into this global pandemic one, right beyond the current practices of weight cutting and so forth. I actually care about that, and I was trying to get people to pay attention because I thought it was in our community's best interest to understand the tsunami that's about to hit him. And it's only going to get worse. The easy part of this coronavirus is over. We haven't even hit the hard part yet. And so I, I was actually trying to get people to notice because I actually do care, because I do want them to be on the right side of this, to take precautions, to take care of their families. Um, and it appears that there's large portions of the community that don't want that. So I can't make them want that. Um, all I can do is what I, what I feel like is a moral obligation to say uh, we should be taking this a lot more seriously than we have been. If people don't want that because my methods are harsh or the information seems impossible or any other combination of reasons, then perhaps it is a personal failing uh, in in effort, but not in motives. So I do I do give you here. that applause for 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 having the best intentions during this time, even if you've scared me a few times. Um, are you going to completely no sell my mythic matchup Monday? Dana's only one run from one fight in his life, and that was against the Boston Mob. Luke, <laughs> could you take him down? I'm forty and broken, and I refuse to answer questions like that. Can we move on? I got a job to do. Uh, all right. Oh, real quickly, real quickly. You mentioned Tony Khabib. What is your thought now? It's now March 23rd. We're less than a month away. Khabib has apparently gone to Russia to finish camp. Thoughts on whether it happens or not? I'm still going to say no chance. Well, everyone there, Dana, Khabib, anyone going public, they're saying 100%. I'm wondering, Luke, how Ramadan affects this. Are they looking Ooh. to keep the, the storyline and narrative going in the lightweight title picture to make this hap fight happen now under any and all circumstances so if Habib wins, 
then when we return to regular fighting, we can potentially make the Conor Habib fight, which would potentially shatter all records and be the biggest uh, whale that UFC could pull out of the water. That leads me to believe there's a lot of fuel in that, and maybe there's some of them just not worrying about the larger picture. Look, I don't know if they're going to do a one-off pay-per-view, but I feel like they are so focused on this that, okay, Dana conceded it and took the next three weeks off. They're going to find a way to make this fight happen. I do believe it will happen. I hope everyone can be safe and they can make it work. There's some people, my colleague Brent Brookhouse had a good idea. Maybe Dana just buys a cruise ship, Luke, and puts everybody and their trainers on there for the next three months and circles around the Atlantic and puts on fights. Your thoughts? Uh, I would not be in favor of of a regression to international water uh, neutrality. That would seem to me a total, a total disaster. We got to move on. All right. Jay's in my ear, harassing. Jay's in my ear, and I'm at home. I want you to understand that, BC. Hey, dude, I do want to shout out Jay, Corey, uh, Gaff, our fellas there at Malco who are in the studio today with the plastic gloves on, making this show happen. I know we give Jay a lot of heck, but the guy's been FaceTiming me all weekend setting up this equipment. He's a, he's a true star of the show. All right, thank you. Uh- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so now we move on to our second point, rising boxing sensation, Gervonta Davis. This kind of got lost a little bit in all the coronavirus news, but it is worth a mention. We know about the old video. A video had surfaced of him during, I think, the NBA All-Star weekend of him at some kind of uh, celebrity game or some other event uh, on a basketball court, grabbing a woman by her clothes, picking her up, and then marching her behind closed doors. Well, TMZ has found a video where it's not entirely conclusive, Brian, and I'll go to you first on this as well, but it appears, and I want to make sure I'm using the word carefully, it appears he is striking someone, and it appears to be the woman in question from the previous video that had been well circulated. So, number one, what do you make of what the video shows first? What what does this say to you about that incident and about Gervonta Davis? You know, it certainly adds little bit more on top of what is, you know, uh, an S sandwich in terms of uh, just bad press and, and, and bad everything. You're right. There's an inconclusive nature. It's the opposite side view. Somebody, I assume, with a cell phone cam, unless it's like a, a locker room cam that they had there. But it's the opposite view of that party coming in. You do see Gervonta throw a punch. You can't tell who he's throwing it at. There's a scuffle afterwards. It's just bad altogether. So here's the deal. He's not the first fighter to have had a transgression on this level and still went on with their career and, and, you know, dealt with the legal uh, realities of that and kept rolling. I mean, we're never going to forget 2012 when Las Vegas allowed Floyd to delay his jail sentence for a month to make sure that Cotto fight happens so everybody can make money. I do hope though, at this point, that this isn't a negative turning point for Gervonta. He had been really, I mean, he'd been, like I said, largely a babyface. If we're talking wrestling standpoint of a guy who entertains crowds, he's funny on the mic, he's got charisma when you really sit down and talk to him, and he's an entertainer. He draws a large crossover audience. I'd like to see him go public and put this behind him with the type of public acknowledging and, 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 and responsible response, Luke, that can allow us to put this behind him because this is such an awful look. And I don't think, you know, you want him to have to become a public villain and go down that road. While you can use that 
from a marketing crutch if you want to. There's no reason he has to. I want to cheer for Javante Davis. This is deplorable. This makes me not want to. I hope he can correct this and move on. He's still a young guy who came to fame at a very early time, not making any excuses. But I'd like to see a, a, a public stance on this, and then we can be done. I would just say this on the, the situation, Brian, which is my hunch is that when this is all over, whether it's next week, next month, next year, God only knows, right? That there's going to be, in boxing and MMA, frankly across the sporting landscape, there's going to be a massive appetite for sports. I mean, when the ball gets rolling, it's going to be slow at first, and then it's going to be a roar. And as a consequence, I don't know if Javante Davis is going to go right to pay-per-view, as it was assumed following his last win over Yuriokas Gamboa. I don't know if he's going to face Leo Santa Cruz. I don't know where things are going to shake out. Here's what I am hoping. I am not under the impression that uh, somehow the bug, the appetite, I should say rather, for fights is going to pass him by. He's going to get booked and probably against somebody big, depending on who's available. Maybe Leo Santa Cruz, maybe on pay-per-view. We'll have to see. My only hope is that when this is all said and done, he has, at that moment, a great opportunity to address everything. And I hope he does forthrightly because up to this point, He's, I think, deleted certain social media presences and not really kind of addressed it. I know he's had some back and forth with Ryan Garcia. I've just not seen him say anything in the way of contrition, whether or not he struck that woman in that second video or not. He certainly grabbed her in the first. That's bad enough of a look, whether or not it's illegal or not. So he has a chance. He has a chance that when this is all over, when he gets booked for a fight, when the media ask him about it, to be upfront about it, to be clear about it, whatever the laws are that he has run up against uh, and whatever law enforcement decide, we'll see how that all plays out. What I don't want to see him is in the position where, because there is such great appetite for him to get going, that people in the media and the public kind of put those questions away and say, you know what, I just want to see fights so bad, I'm not even going to care about this anymore. That would be the wrong conclusion to draw, that if you just wait for a, literally a, a, a global tragedy to happen that interrupts global life, I don't ever have to worry about any of my personal misconduct. It would send the wrong message. I'm not saying he has to, you know, get on his knees and, and, and flog himself with a whip and this has to be the case for the rest of his life. Rather, what I'm suggesting is addressing it up front, telling us about a plan of action, being clear, being precise, and then showing that kind of maturity that you were alluding to as he enters this next chapter of his career. Which, by the way, is if, if he plays his cards right, both as a professional and in his personal life, it should be BC the most lucrative. It should come on the biggest stages. It should be against the biggest opponents, whether it's Ryan Garcia, Leo Santa Cruz, or anybody else. This is his chance to hit superstardom Doing this kind of stuff is not only morally reprehensible, it's just not even professionally wise. And we want superstars. We want the people of our era to fulfill their potential. And right now he's in that young group of the guys like the Devin Haney's, the Ryan Garcia's, the Teofimo Lopez's, who legitimately might have next in this sport as terms of being the faces of it. You don't want to see another Adrian Broner situation, to be really honest with you. A guy who never quite maximized what was inside of him. Next up, we move on to uh, just an unfortunate tragedy. Um, we certainly send our condolences out to the Mayweather family because this week, legendary boxer and boxing trainer. Most folks only know him recently for his boxing training, which, of course, was quite good, but he is much more than that. Roger Mayweather passed away, I think, uh, at the age of 58, and what they're calling essentially him succumbing to his illness 
Um, I've not heard it described exactly, but no one has suggested that it had nothing to do with a life spent in boxing and some of the damage that he had taken. Brian, we're talking about what his biggest legacy is and his, uh, rather his biggest accomplishment. Like, what did he bring to the sport? And I was going through and I was watching some of his old fights. First of all, a lot of folks should recognize this. He was the original Black Mamba. Obviously, shouts to Kobe. What a sportsman. Truly one of the best of our era, irrespective of sport. But the original Black Mamba was Roger Mayweather. He was the guy that wore that crown at a time uh, I don't think anyone had up to that point inside the uh, squared circle. So first, I want to say I always found that kind of fun. Secondly, I would say this was a guy who was a two-weight world champion. And yes, he lost to, I think, Chavez twice during his era. Um, there were some other noteworthy losses he had along the way. It wasn't the same distinguished record as Floyd, which I think gets a lot of folks confused about how good of a boxer that he was. But he won at, I think, junior uh, lightweight and junior welterweight. Uh, so he was a two-weight world champion, and he beat some great fighters along the way. And he also had some great wars. Now, maybe some of those or what contributed to problems down the road. But a lot of times he was not expected to win. A lot of times he would go to the his opponent's uh, territory and be in their home area. Uh, I think he won his second of his two world titles doing that in Puerto Rico. And so you really get a respect for him. Here was a guy who could do it all in the global sense of boxing. I don't mean global in a geographic sense, uh, Brian. I mean global in the sense of everything you can have in a boxing life. Can you be a good fighter? Yes. Can you be a good trainer? Yes. Can you be good on the mic? How many times did Roger Mayweather say people don't know shit about boxing? He was <laughs> famous about that. And he also just had a real keen understanding of human psyche, of what made people work. He has a famous quote when someone asked him, you know, what Floyd has all this money, Floyd Jr., he has all this money, he has all this uh, celebrity, why does he keep fighting? And he said, hey, you know how Bill Gates got a billion dollars and he still make them fucking computers? That's Floyd. <laughs> and I just thought it was such a smart and easy way to describe it, but it, it homes in on something really kind of true about the nature of the big greats. And the last thing I'll say is, I think some of the lessons, Brian, that he learned from his career, yes, he was able to impart on Floyd when he trained him when he, and Floyd and Floyd Sr. had their falling out as a technician, as a, as a tactician, that too. But I think he had lost to Costa Zoo in 96 or so, right when Floyd Jr.'s career as a pro was getting going. I can't say this for any kind of certainty, Brian, but part of me wonders if Floyd Jr. took some of the tactical smarts that Roger was able to employ on him, in him, and just observing kind of what the fight game had done to Roger as a competitor, and then taking those lessons in and incorporating that into a fight style, and then as a business strategy. Certainly, as a as a fighting business strategy. Now, Floyd's gone on record in the past, and obviously, you know, this is a fighting family, the Mayweathers, and Floyd Jr. Had the glove, you know, was was hitting doorknobs as a two year old in in, a, in his playpen. So this was a guy who was groomed for success. And obviously, of the three Mayweather brothers, Floyd Senior, Roger, and Jeff, Roger had the the best pro career by far. And as you mentioned, Floyd's gone on record and said he saw the end of Roger's career up close, saw the punishment he regularly took in order to stay in those fights, and wanted to be the opposite of that. So that certainly 
played a large influence, and that was right around the time in the late 90s that the, the falling out, like you mentioned with Floyd Sr., when he went away to jail and sort of left Floyd, he taught Floyd how to fight, and suddenly Uncle Roger was there to nurture him, helped him start as a pro, come out of the Olympics, become an early pound-for-pound king. People forget right around 2000, 2001, and then eventually become the crossover pay-per-view star that he became, the, the largest star in history. But Mayweather Promotions did put out a statement that uh, gave the cause of death to diabetes, and we had seen Roger step away from the spotlight. He left Floyd's corner right around 2013, 2014 for good as Floyd Sr. came back in. But you look at Roger, and certainly the, the I think the greatest contribution to this business was being the trainer of, of, of you know the most successful fighter of this era. And he was such a calming influence in there. And I know there was always that narrative that, oh, Floyd was so great, he trained himself. It didn't matter. But Roger was certainly someone who Floyd respected, who who had the air of. He, he wanted to hear Roger, what Roger had to say. And Luke, you've seen the videos a million times. That relationship they had with Floyd hitting the pads as Uncle Roger would hold him up and slap back at him, it became a dance. It became this thing they did that is sort of indelibly burned into your mind when you see that you know a big fight's coming and it just really put into focus the relationship that they had the trust that they had he played a monster role in that and i think even bigger although this is sort of a a lesser note he became quite a personality as you know the idea of these pre-fight documentary shows whether it was 24 7 on hbo or showtime's all access really gave you that inside look behind the fighters Roger was an early star in that. It wasn't just the hashtag YDSAB, you don't know shit about boxing. It was, uh, you know, the, the back and forth with Freddie Roach ahead of the Floyd Oscar fight. Roger really showed you just how hilarious he was. He had a few missteps outside of the ring as well, but this was a guy who was a lifer. You mentioned how underrated he was as a fighter. He was the Mexican assassin, the executioner. Uh, won titles in two divisions. Yes, maybe lost his biggest ones against the Custis Us, twice to Julio Cesar Chavez. But, you know, he's got wins over Vinny Pazienza, Livingstone Bramble. This guy really gave a lot to this business, and it was tough to see him sort of take a step back as his health declined in recent years. And certainly tough to see him go during a very hard time in the Mayweather family in general. As we know, Floyd lost his longtime girlfriend, Josie Harris, the mother of a few of his children at age 40. So, Tough time in the in the Mayweather clan at the moment, but uh, Roger gave a lot to the sport, and he was always a joy to 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 you know walk up to and, and get a quote from him. Uh, big fan, big fan of the Black Mamba. And it also tells you too that like one Floyd is such a in terms of a professional career, he's just one of the best ever. Um, but to be that, it requires such a command of oneself. But you have to have an incredible supporting cast, too. All the stars kind of have to align. And that you can do that, essentially, while keeping everything in-house in the family is kind of... Uh, you've seen it, a father and son relationship or uncle and, and uh, nephew relationship in individual instances, Brian. You've certainly seen that. Or even that uncle trained other people. But to have three brothers, as you indicated, and then one child who could do it, and then to develop this brand around a boxing gym, and more than that. Dude, they're the first family of boxing, right? I don't know who would be beyond them, certainly for this generation. And that's all... I mean, that's an impossible thing virtually to become, but it, it, it's an underscore the fact that whatever people think of of Floyd and what he accomplished, there is a bigger Mayweather story that needs to be told. 
And a lot of it got told through Floyd, which is not the worst way to get told, right? Because he is sort of the son and everything was kind of revolving around him. At the same time, you can't forget the individual greats uh, in their own right. You mentioned that Roger had Floyd with Freddie Roach. I was there for Mayweather Pacquiao. I'm sure you were too when they had the coaches press conference. Floyd Sr. was doing the exact same thing when he was talking to Freddie. Like they just had a way of going back and forth with any of their rivals. And to do that in-house, it's so incredible that they were what they were. And um, it, they, were in, they were interesting on their own, Brian. And then they were something greater than the sum of their parts when they were together. And, shout, and in closing, shout out to Roger in that 26, uh, 2006 Mayweather-Zab Judah fight. You remember that melee when <laughs> yeah. Zab Judah started throwing dirty shots? Roger was the first one in there, took a swing from Yoel Judah. He took a shot at Zab. He ended up getting a one-year suspension from the Nevada Commission, but that just showed you showed you who he was, Luke. He certainly was. Um, he was he was not all talk, Brian Campbell. Um, all right, let's go to something else that I find very, very interesting. So apparently... Dan Lambert, who is the owner and proprietor of American Top Team, one of the truly great teams in mixed martial arts, has issued something, Brian Campbell, of a gag rule. The way I understand it is, unless there is a bout agreement signed between two competitors, two fighters inside of ATT, fighter X, fighter Y, they both train at ATT, he does not want any trash talk. Now, he said he understood that if you've got a fight coming up, hey, you got to promote it. That's just part of the business. But outside of that, the gag rule stays. Brian, let's let's go to you first on this. Your sense of things about why this rule was made. I think we kind of know, but I just want to hear your thoughts on it. And two, is this smart or is this too much of a uh, is it too heavy of a burden? No, it's really smart, and it had to be done because of extreme circumstances, which is Colby Covington. Luke, let's wake up. This is the Colby Covington rule. We all know it. The reason why I love that this happened was, look, we know how great uh, the team there at ATT is, what Dan Lambert and company have built, Mikey Brown, uh, uh, who's the who's the Brazilian fellow? I call him Brazilian Shrek, which is probably insulting. You know the oh, guy that's Co- Conan Silvero. Conan, my man, yes. Um, look, they've built something so truly special. They're a powerhouse team, and what can potentially break that up? Uh, something rotten in the inside, and when you have the potential, when Colby has built this outward villainous character... To see him get in fistfights with a Poirier or a Jorge inside a camp, obviously, that's a, that's a poison. You want to address that right off the top. I love that Dan said two things. One, which you mentioned, which is, look, if you got to fight together, that's fair. you got to promote it. But two, us in the pro wrestling side, we know of Dan Lambert's history. He played a heel manager with Impact Wrestling a couple years back. He's got one of the largest pro wrestling belt collections. He puts the blame on himself. For loving the trash talking that that you know is so affiliated with pro wrestling a little bit too much and allowing that to become a thing. And then, you know, Luke, you see it. Every time we're interviewing Joanna, every time we're interviewing anyone, we're bringing up Colby Covington within the first three or four questions. You want to cut that crap down now. You want to bring everybody back to the team level. Smart move, Dan Lambert. Look, there's two ways you can run a super team, right? You can do the AKA model which is we're going to have one guy who's going to be our guy per weight class. We're going to have our Luke Rockhold. He's going to be our guy at middleweight. We're going to have Cain Velasquez. We've got Daniel Cormier. Well, one of you is dropping down and one of you is not. 
So DC says, you know what, Kane welcomed me into this team. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to go down to 205. Now, in Kane's absence, we know that that was not necessarily the case. Or when he fought in Strike Force, that wasn't the case either. But they were deferential towards each other for being the men in that gym. And that was how they remained cohesive. And all those years where Dana White was like, we're going to get Fitch and Koscheck to fight, they never did. Now, to, to what extent they were offered, I don't know. But um, they were adamant. It wouldn't matter if they were offered. We were never going to fight each other. That's one model. The other model is what ATT has, which not only has an affiliate system around the country, but inside that Coconut Creek facility, they've got so many heavyweights, so many lights, so many junior, or, um, I should say uh, middles and, and uh, welters and lights and feathers and, and all the way down. And they're coming from Brazil. They're coming from across the country. They're changing teams. It goes on and on and on. It is not possible in that kind of model to not have some clash. You're right, though. If you're going to have that model, and you're going to have people, so many elites in one weight class, in one organization, Brian. It's not like they're spread out evenly between Bellator and one and, and UFC and other organizations. They're all kind of clustered in that particular organization. So if that's going to be the case, you have to have some kind of established order that doesn't ruin the gym. You cannot have a couple of bad apples spoil the bunch. And Colby Covington's trash talk... Uh, has been widely debated about its value, about its merits, and whatever position you want to take on that, you can. But I think Dan Lambert doing this was not only the right call, it was the inevitable call. If you're going to have confrontations at your gym, if you're going to have people fighting in the street, if you're going to have people who can't even train, not together per se, but at the same time under the same roof for how ugly it is, you can't run a business. You cannot run a business, not yeah, effectively, you're, you're, not under that model. He had to make this call for preservation. Not only was it the right call, Brian, it was the only play. Right, because inevitably you're not only going to have fights that could slow down the growth of your gym and, and ruin, ruin potential big fights being made, but Luke, you can have factions that develop, and that's when suddenly you know one trainer grabs a few fighters and starts his own gym. Smart move overall. This is, Look, I've been there. I You know... That's a very impressive organization they have down there. The quality of fighters, the overall attitude and culture inside that gym, very clean and welcoming, if that makes any sense, Luke. I mean, it's a professional environment. Shout out to them for preserving that. And I'll say last thing on this, a big portion of how you succeed, no matter what your model is of being a super team, whether you're the AKA or the ATT method, is recruitment. Right, People come to you from across the country. We just saw Violent Bob Ross went over to ATT. It's a recruiting thing, not just people in the Coconut Creek area who happen to be there. People come to you. But if they hear stories about confrontation and about there's just this disorder there in the business, they're not going to be as eager to come over to your facility and train under your team. doesn't matter how good everyone else is around you. So this was absolutely not only the right call, this was the only call. Now, yeah, I mean, it was like that time that Jay was mad at you and he called me up and said, let's go start our own show. Let's do uh, afternoon combat. Let's do it, bro. I was like, no, no, bro. Luke and I, day one-ish. All right? you, know what, you know what, Jake? Jake called me this weekend. You know what he said? And he said, uh, he said hey, Luke, if I masturbate at an Arby's, is that going to get me coronavirus? And I said, it could, Jay. He goes, well, wait a second. Is masturbating at an Arby's a symptom of coronavirus? And I said, could be either, Jay. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I'm just pointing that out. I was like, Jay, it's a very weird call, but you do you, my friend. Just work Hey, shout out to the Jamocha milkshake, only available at Arby's. Top shelf stuff. Yes. All right, let's do something a little bit different here for point five on the show, Brian. You have been on a quest. I hand you the floor. 
this is an interesting intersection because we have a lot in common. We have a lot not in common. But one thing we have in common is we both love movies. And now it turns out we both love military slash war movies, although there is a difference. Why don't you tell folks about the quest you've been on, and then I want to frame the discussion we're about to have about it. Yeah, so here's the deal, Luke, and listeners out there, viewers. Uh, we'll invade your ear hole or your eyes. It's your choice. Uh, I've made the point clear on here that 1917 is the best film I've ever seen. And, of course, the uproar was, how could you say that, BC, if you ain't seen Apocalypse Now, brother? Now, here's the deal. I'd seen certain war movies. I... I, I Thought I'd seen parts of some. I, I saw Casualties of War and thought it was Platoon in my mind. I saw a lot of different things. So I don't want to be a, a half-hearted expert here. My goal was to, A, prove to people that 1917 really is the best movie I've ever seen. But B, Luke, do that by becoming woke across the board. So in the last 10 days, you want to know what I've watched? You ready for this, t Luke? T tell me. Platoon, Casualties of War, The Deer Hunter. Uh, keep it coming. The American Sniper. Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Um, Apocalypse Now, I think I said that already. Did you see it? Let me ask you. So we'll just go through. Did you see Hurt Locker? I have not seen that yet. It is on my list. Anyway, okay. I saw three or four other ones. I even went back and watched Glory and Gettysburg. Wow. I'm massive fans of both. I think Glory is a top five war movie. But here's the whole point of this larger discussion, Luke. Have I been able to prove to myself that at each turn... All of those movies, and some Full Metal Jacket, another one, and some of them are just spectacular, and they're in the conversation. But are they better than 1917? In my eyes, no, they're not, Luke. Mm. And it's close, okay? Apocalypse Now is a freaking masterpiece. The Deer Hunter is my favorite of that entire group that I just mentioned. I cannot, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that Russian roulette scene. I mean, it's De Niro, it's walking. This is like, this is the top of the damn pops. But, Luke... I think you got to ask yourself, what are you trying to get out of a war movie? It's very rare that war movies are feel-good stories. I think Saving Private Ryan, which you're right, it was everything everyone said it was. It is a Super Bowl of exactly what a war movie can and maybe should be because it actually balances together the very, very harsh realities of war with like an action movie feel with a quasi-happy ending in the way. And it's very rare that you get that happy ending. But I think, in some ways, that's what I'm looking for. So here's an example, Luke. Platoon. It was the best picture, 1986. I hated it, brother. It was uncomfortable. I didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted out of the damn jungle. There was no ending for me. Um, I'm not looking for that out of a war movie. I think... Our brethren, do you know this fella at WebScream? You know him? Probably. Yeah, he messages me all the time. He seems like a smart dude. Uh, he's the Greek god of MMA Thunder. His name is uh, Chris, Christophoros. He actually, by the way, lives in Italy, and he's been fighting the good fight through this whole virus. So shout out to him. But he took the challenge. He watched it. He came back and said, BC, look, you were right. This is a 1917 is a cinematic classic, and it's so unique that I don't even think you can put it in the war genre. I think it's a separate thing altogether. He might be right, Luke. You have finally tasted and see. Fill in the blanks here. How great was 1917? Is it top of the pops in the war genre? Or is that not even what you're looking for in a war movie? It would, I would be, I would struggle to put it top 10. Uh, you could make a case for it top 10, but I'm not exactly sure where. Top 10, War movie? Ever? Top 10 war movies, yeah. So let me tell you what I saw in this movie. If you've not seen 1917, 
Highly recommended. What an excellent film. If I had to answer what was the best thing about 1917, two things stand out to me, Brian, and I, I think you'd probably agree. Number one, the cinematography is magic. It is so... It's a war movie, right? But it's beautiful to watch, which makes it a sort of an interesting contradiction. Um, the coloring and the landscaping and the framing of the shots, just magnificent. Sam Mendes directed this movie and did a phenomenal job with his direction as well. So, number one, the cinematography, especially the scene, uh, Brian, in the second half, in the sort of the burning Ikust uh, area of town. Um, just what a marvel oh, oh, to watch. Jaw-dropping cinematography during those I, moments. I, I, I mean, I, it's, I, a, it's maybe, Apocalypse Now worthy, Luke. Shout, yes, out, I, shout out to Coppola. I, I would agree there. In terms of the cinematography, it's it stands away. Well, there's a lot more to it, Jay, so shut your mouth. Look at your phone, Jay. I also texted you. Um, so I would say that. The second part to me that stands out was it's essentially two parts of a continuous shot. So for folks who may not understand... Um, there's a lot of war movies are split in half like full metal jacket where it has the scenes at Paris Island and then ultimately in country at Vietnam. But there are different scenes within that where they cut and they restart and they cut and they restart the first and second half of, uh, 1917. It's just one continuous shot. Now I don't want to say more than that because at that point I'd be giving it away. That's a novel way to shoot a war movie that has not been done a whole lot, which I found, uh, really, really interesting. It had a bit of a video game feel for me over time. Yes. So I was glad they split it in the middle the way they did. Nevertheless, very interesting. Beyond that, though, I have some problems with the movie. One, in parts it was telling the story about the horrors of war, but it did it in almost a horror movie kind of fashion where it was in some ways not real and in other ways so over the top that it felt a little phony when they were climbing through different ter areas and there were bodies and hands reaching out. It had a real zombie apocalypse kind of feel. I, I don't know how realistic that was. I, mentioned well, something I, I thought the, the rats chewing on the bodies was sort of like a wake-up call to the realities of how brutal World War I was and that you know the bodies were just all left there. Right, and trench warfare was a big problem. And again, they did the set design was good on that. But it got to a point where it just felt like, am I watching a war movie or am I watching... Am I watching a horror movie? It was a it was a weird distinction that kind of got blurred there over time. I think the other part is there were small things. How about how unrealistic it was? Like when he was marching up a hill and he was firing his weapon, he had a bolt action rifle, and he was still able to hit the target every time while on his feet. I'm like, there's no way you can eject the round, reload it into the barrel off a bolt action rifle and have that kind of accuracy. But okay, that's small. Here is what got me. Didn't like the screenplay very much. Uh, there was hardly any surprises, and oh, um, there's a gut wrenching surprise. The, I mean, it's the surprise not, of the movie, Luke. Maybe it's, not. It's there's not Jose, relative to every other war movie I've seen at a top level. There were not many surprises, and then the last part I'd say is this whole thing of romantic war movies, which is essentially what this was. It, it, yes, you could say the same thing about Saving Private Ryan, having done that, but that was twenty plus years ago. I did not really, the, the, the predictability of it, mar married with the bad screenplay, married with the romantic nature of it, brings it down a notch for me. All right, do you think it was sanitized, even though there were some brutal elements of war, you know, blown up, you know, rats chewing on dead bodies, do you think it was sanitized enough and that maybe Web Scream is right, that it's not really a war movie and me not being a natural war movie guy that I fell in love with the fact that Look, unlike any other movie, maybe beyond Uncut Gems, which we can also talk about, I felt like I was in the movie, Luke. I saw this thing twice, and the second time was even more uncomfortable. 
I've never felt like that really before at that level. The cinematography was so unique and amazing that I'm in, I'm the third soldier with them. I'm in the movie, but ultimately there's almost an adventure side to this movie that feels almost like the Goonies, for example, right? There's right. a start, there's a finish, there's a mission. I mean, you can compare it to, to many movies that were like that, almost like a road trip, right? Like we, we start here, we end there. Maybe that's what, maybe I fell in love with that mixed with the romanticized hero element of it. I just felt like, Luke, I was watching something so unique and special. And again, you got to ask yourself, what are you looking to get out of a war movie? Some people just want as realistic a representation as possible. Other people just want carnage. We mentioned someone, some of these, like the deer hunter, for example, the, the elements of storytelling within the relationships of people go to next level. Certainly 1917 doesn't have that yet at the same time, man, gut wrenching moving. I don't know. I felt like I was on a, on a, on an LSD trip or something watching that. It was a phenomenal movie. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to say bad things about it, but you asked me what I want out of a war movie. And again, military movies. Not the same as war movies. They can overlap. They can be very different. Well, explain that. Explain that. So, for example, let's let's talk about easy cases. Uh, one, military movie. A, a, a few good men would be a military movie, but it has nothing to do principally with conflict. On the other hand, as you mentioned, um, let's pick up with Saving Private Ryan, both a military and a war movie. But another movie I would consider a war movie that has some of a, of a uh, military overlap but not a ton would be like zero dark 30 which is more about state versus terrorist kind of conflict so it can actually go a lot of different places now in the case of what my favorite war movie is and what i'm looking for i've had many friends go to war uh, i have not but i've had many friends who go to war and what i have noticed uh it, what appeals to me about war movies is it, it's it's sort of weird that you want it reinforced but i suppose that you do is is how it complicates you so the one reason why I like Sam Private Ryan is because you know it's very realistic. We can all agree on that. But what it shows you is the hazards of war, which is how it can make people who ordinarily make good decisions make bad ones. Like when Tom Hanks refused to go around the German gun nest and then they lose the medic. Or when Upham refuses to save a colleague who gets stabbed because he just has cowardice in the end. Um, and then and then somehow kills the guy in the end but lives. So there's just like that the fact that there's never really karma for bad for bad faith behavior doesn't show up. That um, people can be morally complex, where they, you talk about in Full Metal Jacket, you know, to see the world and, and meet interesting people and kill them, this duality. When you deal with hazards where it's messy and you're good and you're bad and it works and it doesn't, and when you get that full breadth of a character, that's what I'm looking for in a war movie. So you might be asking, and please don't mock me on this, man, because if you're going to count, oh, we have to count the best filmmakers ever, if we're going to count war movies and who made them, like a Spielberg, in this particular case, like a Mendez, the number one war movie for me of all time uh, is got to be Ran, Akira Kurosawa. It's an 80s movie. You're talking about. Idiot. Okay, well, you're talking about maybe the best, I mean, dude, a master, a master filmmaker. Seven Samurai is another great one that he made. His wife died during the making of this. At the time it was made, it was the most Japanese, uh, expensive Japanese movie ever. I mean, beautifully shot, incredibly acted. I mean, everything about it is phenomenal. It's a story about a guy, basically, who spends all of this energy to build things and to make things happen all for it to come crumbling down. And then when he sees how morally compromised he became to build it, he realizes the worthlessness in it all. And it is told in the most masterful of ways. Dude, that is a movie that you just cannot forget. And you can get it for like two bucks 
on YouTube. I will. Ran. Which I guess that's what we're looking at. By the like, way, look, last thing, Ran translates to chaos in uh, in Japanese. Look, I think Glory is a top five movie I've ever seen. Agreed. So, Glory is amazing. It, but it's about the it's about courage and heroism in the end, right? And overcoming. So, But war isn't principally about that. I mean, exactly. People, people so, think it is. It's not. You know, what I, what I ultimately in the end didn't love and wasn't willing to pick out the good of Platoon was that it's really just about how effed up war is. And I think there were other movies that did show you that. I mean, look, look if you haven't seen The Deer Hunter, good Lord, is that a classic. It, it, it captures all of it inside of one. So I want to put that one right up there as well. And Full Metal Jacket is almost its own thing, Luke. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket is truly different. I would completely agree with that. Um, it's, it's almost two different movies. There are Marines in there, and half of the movie is Paris Island. Is that yes. comparable, Luke, to your experience? Very. Yeah, very. There are some differences in terms of some of the minutiae. Obviously, there are some practices that were put in place to reduce hazing of that kind, but that thing you call there a bl- what's called a blanket party when you get hit with the soap, um, you know, that kind of thing does go on. Uh, and the, the uh, my understanding was, I don't know if this is true, but Arlie Ermey, the guy who played... Um, the relevant gunnery sergeant there was, I think, hired to be the trainer to an actor. Like, let's get this guy up to speed. And then, this is just urban legend. I do not know if this is true, but he was eventually, the director realized, I was a Kubrick, that this guy was so good, you didn't need an actor, and they just pulled him in. Um, that's what I was told. I've never actually looked that up, so someone should look that up. But you can tell he was in the Marine Corps. He did know what he was talking about. And that's really the difference. That's why it's like these small little details. Like when a guy is marching up a hill, aiming at a window, and he's got a bolt-action rifle, and he's hitting the target every time, I'm like... Uh, if, you, if, you had, if you had someone in the military there, they would tell you, you'd, you'd have to get a sniper to do that. Ten more seconds, because Jay's pushing me here. Have you yeah. seen, do you know about this Russian roulette scene in the Deer Hunter, Luke? Oh, who doesn't? Oh my God, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous scene, yes. I mean, that might, that's got to be up there in the greatest scenes of all time. I mean, it's like... 100%. Uh, and, and also to close, um, Apocalypse Now is, I mean, when you hear, the, when you read the, you could almost make a movie about the making of that movie in terms of how you know insane it was how long it took how uh charlie sheen's dad martin sheen was basically uh so drunk almost died on it was really not acting in some of those scenes luke when they slaughter the calf at the end and the whole i mean that is uh i mean it's brando i mean this is like there, there's something special going on there I, I look i'm gonna go deeper okay i liked american sniper i know you talked about propaganda i'm gonna keep going down this road okay do, the do me a favor if you don't have road. if you don't have time for Rand because you don't like subtitles you still owe me one. You owe me one, BC. I saw Parasite, brother. Come on. That's pretty good. But skip that one. Letters from Iwo Jima. Clint Eastwood made it. Now, what, about the, the, what about the other side of that? Didn't uh, Eastwood make a, a companion so, movie? Flat, that? So, so he made an American version and the Japanese version. Uh, with the, I mean, he made them both. But well, I should say American perspective and Japanese perspective. The American perspective is Flags of Our Fathers. Terrible. Okay. Not, not good. Here's what's interesting about Letters from Iwo Jima. And then we'll move on from this. People don't realize this, but I've actually done some history on the initial battles of World War II between the Americans and predominantly the Marines and the Japanese. The initial set of ready-to-go soldiers on either side of the battle were roughly equivalently good, both in terms of tactics, machinery, understanding of warfare, battle plans. I mean, they were the the early Japanese, uh, or the first run of the Japanese military. They were excellent soldiers, but what happened over time was. Um, the Americans were very good about taking an average citizen over time, 
giving them some training over the course of several months, sending them out to the battlefield, and they could perform quite ably. It turned out the Japanese were not. So while their first-run officers and enlisted were excellent, when they began to die off, they had a hard time replacing them. It just took them a lot longer. They were not as efficient at it. So you see that they were just drafting bakers and delivery boys and carpenters and then sticking them in these remote islands without good battle plans or tactics or warfare understanding. And this is at the end of the war between the Americans and the Japanese, and they get stuck on Iwo Jima with its black sand. Holy crap, that movie is good. You've All right, got that's to check next that out. in my rotation, okay? Like, like Kurosawa, right. I watch mad films. And if I did, they'd have a samurai. All right, Luke, it's been one week since you looked at me. Let's keep going. Is okay. that a bare, bare naked ladies? Bare yeah, naked yeah, yeah. ladies? Reluctantly, right. I did drop. That's a 90s. There you go. There it is. There All right, is. let's there do it. Right. It's time for DMs from Donks. Let's do it now. Uh, okay. I can't see the feed. Yeah, there it is. Now I see it. All right, very good. And we're back. Okay, so here we go, BC. We'll go to you first. Does this period count towards T? Te- oh, this is from Long Live and You. Does this period count towards TJ's doping ban? Yes. Good question. That's a, that's a morally honest question at the moment. I'm going to say yes, Luke, because uh, Dana's not trying to look at this as a res- as a respite or a uh, an extended break. We're going to get fights quickly with that man. So, yeah, it counts. It all counts, Luke. It's just calendar time. That's all it is. It's just calendar time. Is the calendar time adding up or not? And, yes, it is. So, the good news for him is, yeah. Uh, next, we go to Mora underscore MK, Brian. This is, of course, for you. What do you guys think about WrestleMania still happening next week at the WWE Performance Center? I was going to save part of this rant for odds and ends, but I'll give it to you right now. I think this is a really, really bad idea. Anybody that's watched WWE in the empty warehouse the last couple weeks as they... I mean, look, it's WWE Vince McMahon style that the show must go on. We all remember when Owen Hart died in the middle of a pay-per-view and... They just wheeled the body out, and they they kept going. But this is almost to their detriment. This has been cringe TV, watching them try to pull this off from an empty warehouse, basically. Now we're going to do two nights of wrestling, and it's going to be filmed like this week ahead of time with potential for spoilers. You got to give, whether you love or hate pro wrestling. Look, I covered it intensely the last few years. I'm now taking a large step back. Still watch AEW because they're on fire. But uh, whatever you feel about that, Vince McMahon and company have made this WrestleMania brand incredibly special. 36 years into it, you know what you're getting. You're getting like an eight-hour show, live music, celebrity crossover, uh, epic matches, and usually epic entrances. And so much of that is built around the idea of a... 75,000 seat stadium. They haven't been inside a, an arena since 2006, right? You remember the, the days in the 90s when they had no money and they were in the Hartford Civic Center of all places at WrestleMania 11. That's a long time ago. This is a show of shows, so to speak. And we're going to do it in a friggin' warehouse. This is a time where, Vince, you got to take a step back, bro, okay? You can do some other show instead, but you got to put WrestleMania off a couple months until we can get fans inside of there. I'm stepping back into that level of fandom, Luke, where I've been on and off, where maybe I'm not watching week to week, but I'm going to watch Mania. You better believe it. It's in my blood. I don't know how they are going to remotely make this a a memorable uh, event or something that's worthy of the of the time and effort put in. You tell stories all year to pay them off at WrestleMania. We're going to do it in a warehouse? Like, no, 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 bro. Nah, bro, nah. Yeah, but yeah, but don't you still want to see Tony Khabib, even if it's in a similar warehouse-esque kind of situation? I do. That's also... Now, look, a live crowd in boxing and MMA does play a lot into the passion, excitement, momentum turns, the broadcast, the feeling, yes. 
But it's so much more in wrestling. You're playing off the fan. I mean, look, Luke, you may not know this, right? And it's not so much as true now in WWE because Vince McMahon scripts everything. But back in the day, they would call these matches on the fly. And if the fans were overly into one person, you could switch the finish of the match in motion, in, in, you know, in, in in real time. And if anyone saw Dwayne Johnson, The Rock just put out a long video explaining the nuances of his classic WrestleMania 18 match with Hulk Hogan. He breaks down in there how he became a bad guy in the middle of that match because they didn't expect the crowd to be so into old man Hogan at that moment, so they switched on the fly. In wrestling, you need that. You can't do it with an empty couple rows of bleachers. So I don't care what tricks they're going to pull off. This is going to be lame. What is your theory about how UFC and WrestleMania might be getting beat up by wrestling media for doing this or uh, MMA media for doing what they did, but that the larger media seems to be utterly unconcerned? I mean, if they had any other sporting entity was still going, even in a reduced capacity like this, they'd be getting raked over the coals. Yeah. How, how come they're avoiding all the Because uh, as Bert, the great late Burt Sugar said about boxing, it's, it's the red light district of sports. So... MMA falls into that. Pro wrestling falls into that. It's combat sports. There's still Luke. We're, we're you know we're we're only so far into the history of the UFC. Combat sports in general is still looked at as oh those those crazy guys over there. Like that's why when you know Floyd Mayweather or any other major boxer can say incredibly non PC things over a microphone and we just go yeah this is boxing this is a fight game. If Tom Brady says that it'd be a national crisis. Luke, hey how about Tom Brady on the Bucks? You fired up? I can't wait for him to just get, I mean, sacked left and right. It makes me so excited. Right. Fuck him. Uh, okay. Next, we go to Andrew Chiakongtao. I think I'm saying that right. Chiakongtao. What are your thoughts regarding this summer's Olympic Games, given where we are with the coronavirus pandemic? If not this summer, because we kind of addressed this earlier, BC, when could they realistically do it, considering pro athletes may partake in their professional leagues by the fall? I mean, here's the deal. Um, I don't see how you can do it later in the year, Brian. I think, and it would change fundamentally the nature of the Olympics. By the way, it would also change, you don't care about this, but the biggest tournament in South American soccer is called the uh, Copa America. It's a big deal when Brazil plays Argentina, plays Colombia, plays you know Chile, the whole nine yards. Um, they're going to have to just put it off by a year. I don't see any other way because what people are complaining about is they're barely able to train. And even if you put it back later in the year, now who's going to be able to go where well, there's overlap between that and professional leagues? Remember, the Olympics that used to be about this amateurism ideal that has completely gone away. It is very much a for-profit business. And having a for-profit business means having the kind of stars that you can either create or use to further that business. Uh, my answer is Tokyo 2021 BC. I think you could push it to the end of the year. If things optimistically turn for the better, Luke, we've seen summer Olympics in the past go off in late August or September. If that meant uh, it had to for scheduling purposes, for weather purposes, all that. I think you can push this toward the end of the year. Look, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to always hit the middle ground, Luke. But how do you do that? How do you do that if the NBA is in full swing there? I mean, you're going to get no one to participate from the United States. This may be a situation where you just don't use NBA players this time around. I just think, look, there's certain... I know what you're saying. It is a business at the end. But you also need fans for for an Olympics to, to truly feel like it matters. If you push it off toward the end of the year, what's the weather like there? They can make it happen, Luke. In Tokyo, it'll be cold as shit. Nah. All right, maybe you're right. Maybe we come around the corner. Maybe, look, I, I think like WrestleMania, although it's hard to compare WrestleMania and the Olympics, I'd rather have them do it right than force it. Can you force Tony Habib? Right. You, you kind of can. You, you can force it, Luke. Well, I'm not even sure that's true, but is it easier to do a one fight in a warehouse 
and YouTube it or whatever versus putting on an Olympic Games where people from all over the world are coming, both as spectators and athletes. They have to be housed in the Olympic Village. Can you imagine if someone got COVID-19 in the Olympic Village? Right among the athletes and how it would spread to the other athletes. I mean, it would. You be know what a those nightmare. athletes like to do in the village, Luke. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're, she bang, he bang, they bang. You got orgies up in there. It's like Caligula for for God's sake. So there's no way you could get away with that. It would just be a nightmare. You got to wait till this thing is has been. Is, you got to wait till this virus is at his ass kicked. And right now it's doing the ass kicking. Uh, okay, from Anvik writes Luke Brian, as esteemed gentlemen that work from home. Do you have any tips for all the wimps <laughs> working remotely? I try to I, keep the tips covered for the most part. I, but, I, um, I, I've got this covered because I predominantly work from home. You do too, I suppose. This oh, one, I to, this one to me is kind of easy, which is you don't people are like, oh, you should get in your work clothes when you go to the uh, your your office. Here's two pieces of advice I would give BC. Would love to hear yours. Two pieces. One, you can kind of wear whatever you want, but getting up on a routine where I, if if I'm if I normally got up for work. At like say 7.30, maybe you can fudge it to 8, but you get up at 8 and you get up and you go to your routine and you are at work on your particular device at the same time you would be had you been at a commute. You should do that. And that means showering, eating breakfast, brushing your teeth, putting on a fresh pair of clothes. It could be sweatpants, but just making that tra- that mental transition. Second part is, to the extent possible, don't work in your bedroom. Go to your living room. If you've got a multi-layered house or whatever, go to the basement. Go to the top floor, whatever. Don't just sit in your computer, flip open the laptop in your PJs, because everything then will just bleed together. Create some walls, if not literal walls, BC, mental walls of separation, so that when you go back to your bed, it feels like what it always has been, something different from work. Yeah, you have to... um Take breaks, and when you take these breaks, your phone can't be anywhere near you, even though there's that pull on you to have to be there in case something happens. Um, This is a real deal. Luke, I worked at ESPN for 12 years, always in the office, and you didn't realize, or I didn't realize at the time how important it was, you know, you're walking on a giant campus, you're saying hi to 50 people a day, and then when you don't have that, when I got hired by CBS in 2017, and I'm right here in this basement Dude, I'm straight up fell into a legit and deep depression during winter for about nine months. And uh, you need the human interaction. You need a schedule. So all those tips you said are legit. You don't want to be working right when you wake up in your bed. None of that stuff. But you need to get away from your house, I've found, Luke. So I walk the dogs at length before starting work. At the end of the workday, I try to either go for a walk myself or just get in the car and go get gas and loop around the town or the surrounding towns to have that um, time to compress and let it all out because – you know, my commute from work to home is like six steps right over my shoulder here. And you can bring that stress or that, that, uh, you know, that conflicted mind from here, right to the dinner table. And then, you know, there's, there's conflict and, and all that stuff. Uh, you, you gotta work hard to, to stay sane working from home. When you get in that rhythm, it's great. Luke, when the weather's nice, I'll take the laptop out in the backyard, dogs running around. Life is really good, but you got to treat it seriously. Cause it'll get you, Luke. It'll bite you right up from the back end, Luke. I actually prefer working from home. So what happened was I was working at SB Nation when um, – uh, oh, I was working for SBNation.com for Vox Media when they created Vox.com. And what, that was the political site. And what happened was they brought in a bunch of people into the newsroom 
Did you work in a newsroom that was an open newsroom? Yes. Or, okay, which is just the worst design for an office imaginable. That's not the fault per se of SB Nation because that was just the consensus thinking at the time about what makes for great offices because we're going to be collaborative in our open office and what it ends up being is just incredibly distracting. So when the Vox people came over, they were making phone calls all day long in ways that the SB Nation folks were not necessarily. Two different business models between reporting and, and uh, the kind of reporting they were doing. And I just found it insanely distracting because I had to make phone calls too, and I just hated it. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to start working from home Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we were running out of space in the newsroom anyway. My bosses said yes. And then over time, it just became basically every day. I find I'm more – your mileage may vary, Brian, but I find I'm more productive. I can get more done. I'm happier. You're right about getting fresh air though, man. you got to get – if you don't have dogs, take a walk. Sit outside. Have lunch outside. Do something – Get some get some vitamin D from the sun, right? Feel that on your face because as humans, you need that a little bit. Joe Rogan talks about nature bathing, um, you know, being around a forest, feeling that on you. It's good for your mental health. You know, and I got a do not disturb sign that I put on the outside of the door because, look, you know, I could be in the middle of something creative, writing a story, being right in the middle of it, and, you know, Mrs. Campbell could walk in and be like, you got to take the trash out. And it's like, you know, you got to have those borders up. And also to close, Luke, my wife always tells me, go to Starbucks for a few hours. Dude, just sitting around people, you get a, you get a certain buzz off that that you never would imagine. Uh, and last, you hate people, Luke. So this is not part of your formula, but I don't hate people. I don't hate people, Brian Campbell. I just hate most people. Uh, okay, Brian, I'm going to pitch this one to you. This ought to be fun. This comes to us from KS, K Stew BP one of the big three novels in the English language of the 20th century. Which do you find the best? Ulysses by James Joyce, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon, or Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, BC. Yeah, that's, you're speaking Chinese, Luke. Have you not read any of them? No, no, no. Uh, I read I've The re- Great Gatsby once, all right? Twice. Did you like times. it? Love The Great Gatsby, love it. That's a good book, actually, right? What is your favorite fiction book that you've read? I'm not a big fiction guy, Luke. Probably not surprising. Um, then neither am I, so I'm with you on that one. I'm bad at that one, too. I mean, I've, I spent my youth, like memorizing sports encyclopedias and Guinness Book of World Records and crap like that. You know, um, I, I, I crave, Wikipedia has become, you know, you can go down long, I crave information, Luke, okay? I, I, I have trouble in fiction. Um, I, you know, I like- do you, have any, do you have any fiction books you've read that you like think about fondly? I, I mean, I, I, dude, I'm with you. I'm not a fiction guy. I think it's probably a bit of a, a blind spot for me, but I do have some fiction books that I look back on pretty fondly. I, I couldn't even name I, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Loved it in the sixth grade. Luke, I got nothing for you. Okay, you uh, exposed me, Luke. No, well, this person exposed me too because this is a blind spot for me. I'd have two. I would say The Sound and the Fury by Faulkner has been one that really stuck with me. And um, some Twain books, I suppose. Uh, but Grapes of Wrath, uh, Steinbeck. Grapes of Wrath was one that really... Um, and these you want to start the MK book club? I'll read your Grapes of Wrath, okay? Yeah, do but I don't. Thing. My book club would not be fiction. I mean, there is there's, a, and I've read Ulysses of the of the three of these. I've not read, and that was a, an incredibly difficult read. James Joyce writes in this sort of like stream of consciousness that is hard to follow. But in any event, um, it's a it's it's a weak point for me too, dude. It's not it's not a strong suit. But I've read a, I've read a couple of the classics. Look, Those I have a passion for what's real. That's what I'm searching for. What is You've been, real? You said 1917 was your favorite movie. All right. Yeah, it's my fa- it's my favorite movie. Okay, yeah, or you like fiction, because it's because so. it's real. 
Sort of. All right. It's time now where we dance on sprockets and we look at dongs. It's time for Brian Campbell's favorite part of the show. Let's see it, buddy. What you got? Oh, animation. There we go. Animation. All right. You know how it works. We scour the globe for the best, the worst, the good, the bad, and the ugly in combat sports and beyond. We haven't had much combat sports. Luke, you love human on animal violence. We haven't had any spinny head kicks from MMA. How about from the farm? Check out this back kick from this horse. Good God. <laughs> oh, that is too great. Dude, that's that's CTE worthy right there. Shout that out to that guy. That is for awesome. Oh, oh, buddy. They are violent animals when they need to be, Luke. They, I'm, I'm afraid I when I'm I love that. Animals. That is so great. Yeah. Speaking oh, of God. Speaking of you're you have another job, so we gotta go quickly. Speaking of violent animals here, Luke, how about this rich guy on the lacrosse field? Look at this guy, bro, the big continent right here, just taking bro, fools out. Look at look at William Refrigerator Smith over here, just <laughs> running these fools over. Oh, is this, is this is this payback for the Duke Duke rape that never happened, Luke? <laughs> Dude, uh, that's the toughest Skyler I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Good God. All right, Luke, we roll on to the rugby field. How about Jorge Taufua with the hit of the year? The season just started. Oh! Dude, rugby is a vicious game. Oh. And that's a, dude, that's a clean tackle. Look at that. What was that segment ESPN used to have before they feared concussions? Oh, it was... Um... Uh, Jay, you remember that? Like you got you got something or oh damn or something like that. Yeah. You got served something like Jay. What yeah. was it? ESPN used to do it. Do you, jacked, jacked up. up. That was yes. it. You, yes. Yeah, you got jacked up. All oh, right, Luke. God. We don't have many uh, sports highlights. We do have a lot of COVID nineteen season highlights here. Look, every man needs his own space, especially during uh, Corona season. Check out this man cave this guy built. You down with this Asian fellow here, Luke? Bro, this is how they got Saddam Hussein. Remember that? Yes. He was down in that little hole, Allison Chain style. You can't even see him there, Luke. That's great. Yeah, but what, can he, what what does he have down there? Nothing. He just has a little room to sit. He's got a peace of mind. By the way, my friend's dad growing up, he lived around the corner from me. For years, he'd always talk about, oh, my dad, every night, he's down in the basement, drinking Miller High Life, listening to the Yankees games. And I always assumed, Luke, having been friends with this guy for like 10 years, that his dad had this ultimate man cave with plush couches and a speaker system and whatever. You know what one of the saddest moments of life was? One day when we were adults going down in the basement, it was a crate a transistor radio and a beer fridge. Yeah, I mean, look, one man's, uh, you know, you, look, don't man cave shame. Don't do That's that. True. Everyone's true. got their own man cave. You got to be friendly. Especially you guys with the military PTSD and all that, Luke. To all respect to you guys, okay? Yeah, it sounds like you have none, but okay. All right, hey, let's roll on here. Hey, uh, Corona season, new arcade games out there, Luke. Take your daughter to this, Luke, right? Just in case. There's a good prize in there. Dude, those things never work. Those things, all those things are like the lottery. They're just rigged. You have no chance of winning that thing. No how chance. Do, how are you doing on TP? How, how's, your, how's your arse, Luke? Totally fine. We're good. Right. I got the double right. ply the whole nine yards, bro. All right, this uh, toilet paper scissing, the fear of it is rolling on. How about this card game, Luke? Those are high stakes. Bro, people are acting like they're in prison these days. I mean, I That's guess Australia had a legitimate shortage. Are you are you having any trouble finding toilet paper? No, no. Well, no. My wife stocked up well in advance. It's a Costco mentality. You know what Bro, I mean? Bro, you want you want a pro tip for our audience, and this is honestly true. 
Number one, you can order them off Amazon. Do it in advance. Not Prime now, but do it in advance. Secondly, and I'm being dead serious, dude, go to your local Latin supermarket. The shelves are all fully stocked. Are you trying to say Latin people don't clean their, their backside? No, but they haven't reacted with the same level of panic buy that all so that you're old... saying to go to a sea town look if you're at a sea town you're in the ghetto luke uh no you can go to a uh what was the one i went to the other day that was by my house it was over there in tacoma park i forget the name of it but it, all the shelves are completely stocked just go all there right, that by the way that guy at the poker table he definitely had a shitty hand all right luke let's roll on here um grocery store slim pickings luke you go to try to get meat or produce this is what you end up with look at that luke i don't know if that's dinner or a date check out the lady's face right there <laughs> I hate you. I hate you completely. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, the, uh, the the pickings are even slimmer at the uh, meat case. Check this out, Luke. <laughs> oh, if you saw that at the grocery store, you'd be like, what cut is from the butcher is this? I must have 10 of them. That is gross. That is the full, yeah. Here's a pro tip. Don't touch that. Wow, not even the tip. All right, Dude, Luke. Awesome. Go- what, what, is the cu- what is the cut there? What is that? Uh dong that's a huge dong bro yeah <laughs> damn right damn right look at the unit on that bull that is all right a... luke we're gonna go to one championship they're still fighting so here's when spinny shit goes wrong look at this fella oh, oh wow. no why does everybody think they can spin luke you can't just that looks like edward foliang i don't know if that it is but it looks like him uh, well, Luke, yeah. fighting has been banned in most cages, so now we're going to go to the uh, the truck stop. Here's some redneck rumbling here outside the 18-wheeler. Check out the guy in the blue shirt. He's the he's the antagonist. He's pushing it, and then watch these crappy hammer fists he's about to break out. Why does what he is- have... Why does he have a Bluetooth set? I don't know, but this old guy's about to send him to hell. Oh, let's see. Let him know, old man. Don't take that shit. Wow. He's, oh, he's about to stomp him out. Look at, all the, uh, look at all look the, the beer cans, cans in there. Bush oh, cans in there. But they, were, uh, they, but they fell on sawdust. They're good. You know what? Fighting on sawdust, I just say, here, people always ask me, what's your rule with uh, street fights? The answer is a number of circumstances. Usually, I let it play out. I would definitely let it play out in one of these circumstances. I don't mean to sawdust. clown that guy in the ground because he probably had the same dinner I did once he got up. Luke, let's be honest about this right now. Truck stop's great place to find food. Luke, feed, feed, that guy, feed that guy that cut of meat, that dong that he had earlier. He'd be all right. Indeed. All right, let's move on. Check out this guy, Left Hook Larry. You ever see a fight break out during traffic? This guy's got one move, Luke, but it's working. Look at this. Sending Listen, fools to hell. Dude, what is this? Wow, this white guy has got the most off-balance, ridiculous left hook. <laughs> He's got hands of stone, Luke. This is amazing. Manos de Piedra over here. Look at that. <laughs> wow, this looks like spring break, Luke. People are just asking for Corona down there on the Florida yeah, beaches. You right? got Corona. And you got Corona. Yeah. Uh, Luke, they had a fight last week in South Africa. You ever hear of this promotion, EFC, Extreme Fighting Championship? Yeah, South Africa, yeah. All right, Shalomba Mckixi is the fella on the left. Watch this uppercut from hell that he gives to August Kayambala. Uh oh. Uh oh. Boom shakalaka. Oh! Wow. Caught him with the old rear handle. Oh, and he gave him the Mutumbo at the end. No, 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 no. Who wants to oh, sex Mutumbo? Who, who wants to sex Dikimbe? <laughs> Speaking of sexing, Luke, um, do you ever wonder how Tiger was able to hide his hose for a long time from Elon? Um, apparently you just, what is, wait, what? Bro, are you watching Tiger King on Netflix? I hear I should. Brandon Wise from CBS Sports is all over. Yeah, Wise, man. I'll watch it. All right, bro. Dude, um, it is it is the most batshit insane people you've ever seen in your life. 
is this art or is this just naked ladies um, hiding? Because this is Bro, a great party trick. Haven't you heard that a tiger stripes are natural camouflage? I guess so. I guess Look at so. that. Look at that. It's like the Chinese dragons on uh, New Year's, you know? All right, let's move on to some party tricks, Luke. I think they call this a three-beer Monty. Oh, no, first we got white men can jump, Luke. Check this out. Dude, that honky can move. Look okay, at so here's the deal. Jay thinks this is an eight-foot hoop like the movie Above the Rim. Remember when Leon came out in corduroy pants and was doing windmills on that eight-foot yeah. hoop? Yeah, but even then, look at it. Look, just measure his ankles to the floor. Oh, my God. Look at how the ease. He goes high above. Luke. I mean, you claim that you could dunk in high school. I think, like you, this I, I guarantee you this guy has no basketball game. Like, he can only do this. But it's impressive, Luke. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's wow. athletic. He's athletic for sure. Look at this. Look at this. Armpit. Armpit in the rim. Yep. Oh, he's that's athletic. Nasty. That is, wow. Shout out to that white man, right? Wow. Billy Ho. Take it to the hoe, Billy Ho. All right, Luke. Let's how go. I, how come I see a lot of white dudes dunk on Instagram and I just don't see that in games? Like, I don't care if you can dunk on Instagram anymore. Put that shit in the game, bro. All right, all right, all right. Uh, party tricks time. Can we roll on here? Can we, Jay, can we go to the next slide here? Check out this three-beer Monty. This guy might have a future in adult films, Look, Check this out. Are we now moving on from not merely the observation of phallic objects, but to now the reception of phallic objects? Um, you're not impressed by this, Luke? By this jackass whose mouth is big enough to swallow three beers? No. One time in the woods in 94, Luke, I saw a kid drink 11 Budweiser cans in 12 minutes and then throw up for like another half hour. That's impressive. It's one version of impressive, yes. All right. All right. All right, last slide here. Uh, check out this guy. This guy is all of us. Luke, this guy will be you in probably 20 years. Okay, we got a public workout class. Look at, yep, Jazzercise. Check it out, guy. Yes. Yes, Luke. Dude, old dudes are the best because they just no longer give a fuck. And they we look at it as cute. Caring. Like, in reality, that guy's a creeper and he's building material for later. But we're like, oh, look at that guy. He's the best. Oh, he's so cute, Luke. Dude, this is basically me on Instagram anyway. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. That's why I don't right? have grudges against Ioana like you do, right? Because I follow her on Instagram. Yeah, whatever you want to say. That's I can't judge this man. It's no better than what I do on digital. All right, Luke, odds and ends real quick because you got another job and you get really angry about it. What do you got? Uh, yes, well, I have things to do. But that being said, my odds and ends for this week would be for USADA, who continue to act in a totally shameful behavior, even alarming other anti-doping experts around the world. They have announced this week that they're going to begin testing predominantly things that are mission critical for the Tokyo Games. Games, by the way, that are in all likelihood not going to happen. And that they were still going to test people for in the UFC. Now, what they had said was, you know, where applicable, we're going to have, you know, protective gear like gloves or something else. But they don't say how much there is, number one. Number two, how do you blood test if, according to the uh, regulations, they're going to keep six feet from everybody? Number three, why is it wise for people in the middle of a global pandemic to be engaged in this behavior where you have to go around town, potentially fly to different areas to get there, certainly drive potential distances, come into contact with the public in ways that is not advisable to test for events that are not happening? USADA continues to show that they don't believe that they have as much responsibility as all the other actors in the sports space to maintain standards in public health. They are above it. They are beyond it. And in their view, um, it seems to be uh, they don't abide by the same rules. They make yeah. they get to make their own. So and you nice. saw that. How about you test Lorenzo Fertitta? Let's find out what he's on. All right, Luke, we got to get out of here. Uh, quickly, 
Did you see this tweet from Triple H last night throwing shade at Deontay Wilder? You got yeah. this, Jay, really fast? You see this? I did. Jay? Does, does Jay have it? There it is. He's he's relating to WrestleMania 30 being replayed on ESPN last night and the 45-pound costume. Um, it's not. A, you know what? It's not a bad zing. And I saw the thing he was wearing. When was that, by the way? That was... Uh, 2014 WrestleMania 30 and yeah, it, he had a big getup on too. I saw on Twitter. He doesn't get this. up every year. We want to close with this. Did you see Gronk <laughs> was announced as the host of WrestleMania? There's Triple H. Shout out to that right there. Yeah. Um, Rob Gronkowski was announced as the host of this coming WrestleMania, and they did an empty studio entrance for him on SmackDown, and it was cringe as balls. That's Mojo Raleigh slapping some a right there. Um, did you see this guy's dance? Can we speed up the video? Check out this awfulness. Uh, I don't is, think I don't think Gronk is interesting. Can well, I say not, that out loud? Here's the deal. Do you know what makes him interesting, Luke? Besides being a physical freak that he usually shows up in front of like scantily clad women and does weird backflips and stuff. Do you have the video of his entrance or no? Jay. There it is. Oh boy, look at this. And when there's no crowd to uh even give uh fake cheers on there, um yeah. Well, hey, he had a good run, okay? What is he doing? I don't know. Hey, he turned out better than Aaron Hernandez. Dude, if, though, he so wasn't, if he wasn't a, well, I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, OJ turned out better than Aaron Hernandez in certain capacities. But um, if he wasn't athletic, he'd be the biggest nerd loser. Dana White would be, be mad at him for being MMA media. You're I right. Mean, that's you're who right. he would be. All right, before you get angry, we gotta go. To, I just want to shout out one more time, Luke. Shout out to all of our great listeners. Uh, we got so many people that love the show. And viewers, and viewers. And viewers as well. Shout out to the folks. Can I get a zoom in here? Yeah, shout out, shout out to the folks at Murderer's Row who hooked us up with some fine swag right there. Uh, they love the show. We love our, our supporters here, Luke. I mean, look, you want to send me something? Send it, all right? All right, I'll drink it, I'll wear it, I'll eat it. Let's do it, okay? All right, okay, well, we I, gotta, got I, I have to get going, but let me say this. I should have said at the top of the show I didn't. If you made it this far, please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the channel. Keep those numbers pushing. You see what the folks at Showtime and uh, Mocha have done, trying to bring as much normalcy to this program as they can. We'll get better and better at this. You see all the social uh, links below to follow for us, uh, individually me and BC, as well as the channel, and tell folks about us. Let them know. Uh, uh, word of mouth, still the best kind of marketing. And I forgot my mug, BC. I left it in the studio. I won't get it now for months. I'm sorry. Oh, it's got Corona. It's got Corona, bro. You got that Rona player. Yeah. Uh, okay, BC. For folks who want to get more of your stuff, by the way, on CBS Sports, what do they do for that? By the way, they can just follow you. But yeah, follow else? me at B Campbell CBS on Twitter. Check out my podcast, The State of Combat, every week. Boxing, MMA, a lot of fun. Big, big interview this week with Chris Jericho of Wrestling Fame. Check that out, Luke. Very good. And uh, please keep in mind, I do the Luke Thomas Show five days a week. I've got an interview with Derek Thompson coming out by the time that today from the Atlantic Magazine and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So, BCs, stay safe. Keep the barracks cut living. I might have a shaved head by this time next week, dude. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I'll I need, come over you know and shave what? your hair. I need I'll... your tips, the videos you saw on how to cut your own hair. I, you I, say I need you need help. my tips, Luke? Can we stop? I mean, can, we just, can we just stop the show right now? All right. This, no tip to tip during Corona season, bro. Come your on. tip to tip thing is going to define your entire life. But okay, we got to get out of here. That's BC. I'm Luke Thomas. For everyone who's in the production team and Showtime and beyond, appreciate you guys watching. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. 
Mo Monroe is wanted for the financial terrorist attack Black Monday. Black Monday was my idea. It's me, the Wizard Wall Street himself. Mo is back, baby. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 